You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Scott Crabtree. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you so much, Janine. Happy to be here. So I have to uh, share with you the name of my show is Get the Funk Out. And I thought Scott would be a perfect person to help us all get the funk out. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Tell me about how you became founder and chief happiness officer at Happy Brain Science. Well, really through luck, Janine, my wife, brought me into Powell's Bookstore here in Portland, Oregon, and I saw a book turned sideways called The How of Happiness by Sonia Libermersky, and I picked it up, and on the back was a review from Harvard professor Daniel Gilbert, whose book I had read called Stumbling on Happiness, and his review said, unlike every other book on happiness, this one is based on the best experimental data and will work. And I thought, good enough for Harvard professor Daniel Gilbert, good enough for me, and I bought it and read it. And it was my introduction to the fact that there was a solid peer-reviewed science of happiness, that that real scientists were doing real research with random assignment, placebo control, and all that other good stuff that makes good science good science, looking at choices we can make to bring us more happiness. And then if we make those choices, our brains fundamentally work better in most situations. I felt like I had discovered the most amazing thing ever and really wanted to learn it. I finished the book and thought, I want to know this science. I want to live this science. I want to be happier and enjoy all the benefits that come with it. And about five seconds later, I thought, you're not going to do that, Scott. (laughs) Forget 95% of this in six months the way we forget 95% of most things in six months. So how can you not forget this? And I happen to be the kid of two teachers. So I thought if you really want to learn something, you should teach it. Yes. So I started pitching uh, software development conferences and video game development conferences because I was in the software development and specifically video game development world. I started pitching them with talks like the science of happiness and software development and conferences kept saying yes. And so I kept learning more and more. And the experience essentially went viral. And in very early 2012, I quit my job at Intel and went full-time at Happy Brain Science. And I love the name, Happy Brain Science. Thank you. I was working at Intel when I discovered all of this. And Intel is a wonderful company. It's also a very engineering-driven, data-driven, skeptical kind of place where Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, prove it to me. Sure. Um, So I could not go out there with a presentation that was like, just be happy. Yeah, exactly. I would have been maybe shot. Uh, right. <laughs> literally, I hope. But um, yeah. so I so I needed to prove this to my Intel colleagues who I wanted to make happier. And so I developed, you know, the, the former CEO of Intel, Andy Grove, had a quote that we often repeated at Intel, which is, everyone has an opinion, some people have data. So I developed a very data-based approach to all of this, where I'm trying to give as little of my opinion as possible and guide people to as much solid peer-reviewed science as possible. Love it. I mean, and I love how this uh, carries into, you know, corporate, where you're bringing this into different environments, workshops, and things like that. You want to talk about that? 
Absolutely. You know, like it or not, Janine, we spend most of our hours at work. And so if, if somebody listening to this is working full-time, like it or not, they probably spend more time at work than doing anything else in their life, possibly outside of sleeping. But for most of us, we work more than we sleep. Mm-hmm. And certainly for the time we're conscious, like it or not, we're spending more of our time at work than anywhere else. We're spending more time with our colleagues than anyone else in our lives. And in my experience, too often that's an unhappy work experience. People suffer from nine to five or whatever their working hours are, and they tell themselves, I'm doing all this so that I can make money so that I can be happy on the, e- on the weekend or in the evenings or on vacation. Well, I think life is too short to be suffering through the thing we do the most in life. Right. And, you know, I'm not here to criticize Intel, but I was not terribly happy at Intel. It was not my um, corporate environment, so to speak. And I saw a lot of people who were really unhappy there and other places. And to be completely candid with you, I, I have had family members of mine and myself at times be mm-hmm. quite unhappy and in life. And, you know, we, we suffer and we don't do work as well when we're suffering. The solid science suggests that when we're unhappy, our brain figuratively shrinks, but that the parts of our brain that look more like your average mammal, uh, the limbic system and the brainstem, come to the front burner, if you will, when we're stressed or sad, and our uniquely, wonderfully human, creative layers of uh, logic and more, the neocortex just under our scalp, largely goes to the back burner when we're unhappy. So when we're unhappy, we're at work thinking more like your average house cat than your average human. And so I wanted to help people be happier because life's too short to suffer through what we do most. And I think all of us deserve to be happy at work. But also because we do much better work when we're happier. Not in 100% of circumstances, but the vast majority, we do better work with a happier brain. So here's a question for you, because um, when I hear you saying your backstory is you had a little bit of a funk at Intel? Yeah. Okay. So what advice would you give people that aren't a funk, a personal funk, a professional funk? Because I believe that there's a toolkit that people can have to help find their way out. I'm not saying they have to have this permanent smile and be blissful, because that's unrealistic. Exactly. Exactly. But just to know that, you know, there are certain things they can do, like what would you suggest? Absolutely. Great question. So, uh, first of all, I have eight or so different workshops I go to corporations and conferences delivering, and only one of them is called The Science of Being Happy and Productive at Work. And that one typically takes a half a day, and we have about, oh, maybe 10 or 12 minutes left. So, this is obviously an abbreviated answer. But for people who want to learn more, I have a recommended reading list of science-based books about happiness that is completely free, of course, on my site, happybrainscience.com. So that's where you get a longer, more in-depth answer. What I would tell people in just a few minutes is I organize that Science of Happiness workshop into four themes. First is subdue stress. Second is practice positivity. Three is flow to goals, which requires a little bit of explanation. And fourth, and probably most important, is prioritize people. But they're all important. So subdue stress is basically gets at the fact, at what I was saying a minute ago, that when you're stressed out, your brain figuratively is shrinking. And some of your not-so-valuable brain real estate is, is leading the way, so to speak. And so I try to help people 
hope of, first of all, stop stressing about stress because moderate stress can actually be helpful to us. Yes. And then cope effectively because science says a big difference between high stress, low happiness people and low stress, high happiness people is how we cope with life's inevitable stress and hardship. And you said it well, the goal of all this is not constant bliss. It's unrealistic, unhealthy, unhelpful. Mm -hmm. But we can choose to be happier, and a big way to do that is to cope with the funk that life gives us, right? I mean, bad things happen to us and people we care about. And the question is, how do you cope and how do you bounce back? And so science says cope effectively. You know, if you're eating, drinking, smoking, gambling heavily, there are better ways to deal with life's hardships. And those include exercise, talking with friends, mindfulness, humor, whatever works for you and is a healthy coping strategy. Yes. So that's one whole category is, is subdue stress, cope effectively with stress and hardship. Yeah. You know, I want to interject. Then, can I interject a quick thing? Everybody has their own personal time frame for how, they're, how and when they're going to get out of their funk. The important thing is to not dwell into that vortex for too long. Exactly. And it's when we can't tolerate any funk at all, we tend to make ourselves even less happy. Yes. Because it's like, ah, oh, my happiness is horrible. It's yeah. like, hey, it happens to all of us, okay? Right. This is not about eliminating misery. As you wisely put it, Janine, it's about not getting stuck in your funk. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were, you were going to say something else. It's all good. The three other sections, yeah. uh, practice positivity is, basically a bunch of corny sounding stuff about positive attitude. So why would I include stuff about positive attitude when people have heard cliches about positive attitude before? Because if you watch television for an afternoon, you can hear that happiness comes from sports cars and sodas and prescription drugs and perfumes. And what science can help us sort out is what really brings us happiness. And science says that all that corny stuff about looking on the bright side, being optimistic, seeing the best in each other, focusing on the positive, all of that really works. So bring the positive attitude. And, you know, I always say we we tend to say um, no to a lot of things when we're in a funk. Like, try to just say yes. I mean, I know I'm guilty of that, too. We're, We're very comfortable staying home in our routine and yep. we don't want to drive. We don't, and we, we're overthinking and analyzing how the evening's going to play out when you know yep. we're not mind readers, but we think we know. Yep. And then I find that when I do push myself and I do go, I have a really good time. And being with people is one of the best ways to get out of a funk. Absolutely. Uh, so let's jump ahead to the fourth section of my happiness workshop. Uh, that's when I tell people that here comes the cliche line where the guy says, if you only remember one thing I say today, remember this. Mm-hmm. Warm relationships fuel happiness. Yes. I mean, if you had to, according to Daniel Gilbert, the Harvard professor I mentioned earlier, if you had to boil all the science of happiness down to one word, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we can't, and it's not that simple, but if we did, if we had to, the word might be social. We are social creatures And when we're in a funk, as you pointed out, we often don't want to reach out to people. And in fact, that's when we often need to the most. So social support is huge. Happiness and unhappiness are contagious. And there are great ways to invest in relationships and happiness at the same time, including kindness, forgiveness, celebration and savoring, and lots more. Yes. 
I want to add that um, sometimes with certain professions, I know I'm a writer and I can become yeah. very antisocial. I'm, I tend to be an introvert. And when you get into that uh, zone, that cave of writing and you're not socializing, it's not good for you, even though you think you might be fine. But you kind of yeah. forget how to interact. And I, I recently just went to a film festival and I had the best time meeting people from all over the world, these intriguing conversations. And it just kind of brought me a little lightness in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing the power of it. I, I was fortunate enough to have dinner last summer with Sonia Lubomirsky, the woman who wrote The Health Happiness and is a wow. uh, a research a happiness researcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was me and a, me and a few other people, one of which was a fellow researcher. And that researcher asked Dr. Lubomirsky, "Hey, what what unpublished research are you excited about now?" Mm-hmm. Keep in mind this is unpublished research, right? So it's yet to go through the peer review process. So you can take this with a big fat grain of salt, but but Dr. Lubomirsky said that, that she and some of her grad students had been running an experiment that had found the biggest boost in well-being of any happiness intervention they had tried so far. And the instructions, loosely speaking, were act like an extrovert. Yeah. Now, introverts like yeah. introverts like you, I know, are thinking, but it's exhausting. It's hard for me. Yeah. And I get it. I totally get that we have different styles. But what she has found is that both introverts and extroverts get a massive boost in well-being. And introverts do not get as exhausted as they predict they will. Oh. And in my own experience is similar. I'm a bit of an extrovert and a bit of an introvert, mm-hmm. depending on the time of day or the Sure. or whatever is going on. And and I heard some scientists say, you know, if you had to boil all the science of happiness down to one thing, it's kind of treat every elevator ride like a great social experience, oh, yeah. which is unnatural for us, right? When right. we get into an elevator and it's like, I'm on my phone, I don't want to talk to you, what well, if you're crazy or mean? Sure. Uh, right? <laughs> and so, so I feel that hesitance to talk to people. But because I know the science, I often push myself, not always, sometimes I'm not in the mood and I get it, but, but I will often push myself and just start a conversation with somebody in the elevator and say, how's it going? Right. Or anything like that. And 98, 99% of the time, I get out of the elevator in a better mood than I got into it. Sure. But we don't, we don't feel like being social, especially when we're in a funk. Mm-hmm. And yet it's one of the best ways to get out of a funk. It is. I think you just have to kind of imagine there's somebody behind you, behind you going nudge, nudge, or kick, yeah. or shove. I mean, last yeah. night I complimented somebody on this gorgeous dress she was wearing, and I ended up striking up this great conversation with her and her mom. Yeah, you wonderful. So, and, and at the times when you really don't want to be social, that brings us to the fourth theme that I haven't quite explained yet. Flow to goals is about the, the very productive zone that psychologists, and to be crystal clear, I'm not a psychologist, but the zone that psychologists call flow, where you are deeply immersed in some work that is challenging but possible for you. You're making progress towards a clear and important goal, and you're doing as little multitasking as possible, which science basically says makes us stupid and miserable. Mm -hmm. When you get completely immersed in something challenging but possible, if, if you just don't feel like being with people, can you get really into something that challenges you and is hard work for you? What we find is it's a delightfully productive experience. 
I can give an example of that. For like, for instance, I was working on a screenplay for many, many years, and I thought, oh, is this really worth doing? Is this going to come to fruition? And I thought, I have to tell the story. And I would be so happy when I was submersed in my writing. Yes, exactly. So for those who just can't or don't want to choose human contact, Mm -hmm. choose immersing yourself in work. And, And that's part of why I get so excited about the science of happiness is that we sometimes make choices that are not good for our happiness. So, for example, most of us, given an opportunity in an evening, will choose relaxation over something challenging. We'll choose to watch TV, for example, or spend a lot of time on social media. And the evidence is that either one of those things tends to make us less happy. And something harder, playing chess, making a piece of software, writing a screenplay or a book or an article, any of those things... They're harder, and so we have less appetite for them when we want to kick back and relax. But in fact, challenge is invigorating for us and gets us that flow experience that results in us being happier because we chose to work hard. It's almost like if you choose a passive experience, like sitting back and watching Netflix, it's not as fulfilling, from what I hear you saying, is if you're creating something. Maybe you're working on a nonfiction story, you know? Yes, often often true. And look, I watch TV too, right? But Mm -hmm. I try to do it with other people, not all the time, watch something interesting and not just mind-numbing, that kind of thing. Right. Things that are going to kind of engage your brain. Exactly. You know? Exactly. We think think we're going to be happy when we just kick back, like, please let me lie on a beach sipping Mai Tais for months. (laughs) And I know a lot of people listening are like, try me. But what science says is when we actually get total relaxation, we end up kind of bored and kind of sad. And we end up feeling more happy and more alive when, as you put it, we're engaged, we're challenged, we're connected. I want to add to that as well, because I always feel like with social media, people might compare themselves, their level of happiness to the people on, let's say, Facebook. And there's an illusion. Yep. It's I call it smoke and mirrors, an illusion of happiness. Look at me. I'm here. I'm there. I've got this. I've done that. But, you know, in the end of the day, these people, they have their own unhappiness as well, and you can't yep. compare that. Yes, exactly. I, I try not to talk about the things that make us unhappy too much because mm-hmm. I prefer to focus on the things that lead to happiness. But you're right on. Janine, the science says that comparing yourself to others is a great way to be miserable. And I'm not anti-social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. But if you spend too much time there, especially, I think, on Facebook, for example, you're comparing your real life to other people's highlight reels. And it's like, oh, this friend is on vacation in Italy, and this friend is in Hawaii, and this friend's kid just won an award. My life sucks. You know, know. So I'm not anti-social media, but I am anti-social comparison because the data suggests it's a great way to be miserable. So anytime you catch yourself thinking, why can't I have a life more like this person or why can't I be like this person, it's a mistake. And for goodness sakes, if anyone is a leader at work, please do not ever tell a colleague why can't you be more like Jennifer oh, or Jose? Yuck. That's a great way to make people miserable. Absolutely. And therefore, yeah. cut their productivity about 25%, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, I can believe that because, you know, it's almost like we're children again when someone says, why can't you be more like Susie, you know? Exactly. You know? Exactly. 
any advice well, you would give people that you know want to um, work on maintaining their level of happiness at work and just some tips and advice? Yes, absolutely. I mean, number one advice for people who want to be happy at work is connect with other human beings. Mm-hmm. When I when I worked at Intel and, and certain other larger organizations, a lot of people would call into meetings, even ones that were 100 yards down the hall. It's like, go in person, make some eye contact. We thrive on human connection, and too often we deprive ourselves of it, thinking, oh, I don't want to walk, or I can get some other work done while I'm, while I'm in this meeting if I stay here at my desk. And we just choose misery of multitasking and a lack of human connection when we could be using, choosing happiness. Therefore, 10 to 30% Various studies suggest boost in productivity. So that's the thing. This is not choosing happiness just to be happy, which I think is plenty enough of a reason. Mm -hmm. But it's also choosing happiness because you'll be more productive, more creative, a better work citizen. You'll be more resilient and more. All those benefits come from happiness. So choose human connection. Manage stress. Don't multitask. Immerse completely into challenging, meaningful work. And bring the positive attitude and whatever that looks like for you. And and the other thing just to to say as I'm dishing out all this science-based advice, you know, I try to guide people through the science so they can thrive at work, but everyone's path is different. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell them what to do. Science can't tell them what to do. Science can tell all of us what works for most people most of the time. But every brain in the world is different. Every person in in the world is different. And people need to figure out what works for them. Absolutely. So could you give your uh, website? Absolutely. It is happybrainscience.com. Happybrainscience.com. And a bunch of free resources on there, including the recommended reading list, a monthly newsletter with happiness tips, and uh, several other free things. I love well. this. You've got a happiness test. You've got your blog. You've got your gratitude ebook. Gamification exactly. ebook, reviews and recommended reading, tools and hacks, lots of really great information, very useful. Scott, thank you so much. So this is the best place to find you. Happy Brain Science. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else? Yes, Happy Brain Science is on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. I'm Scott Crab on Twitter. And uh, again, it's, if you boil it, boil it all down, it's about human connection. So I love connecting on social media when we're really connecting, not comparing our lives to others, but connecting and having meaningful engagements with each other, it's awesome. So I would love to uh, interact with with you and any listeners online. Fantastic. You know, I'd love to have you back on, so I'm going to keep in touch with you. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, Janine. Thanks so much for having me, and I hope everyone gets the funk out there. Excellent. If you missed any part of this, everything is up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.